Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Hey, we're so glad that you are here with us tonight, or maybe you're not able to be here in person, and so you're watching this later online, whatever it is, we're really glad to be back together with you all. Hope you had a great break. You know, I've been thinking lately, I've been thinking a lot about the phrase, and they lived happily ever after. Maybe it's because I have a second grader, a first grader, and a pre-K kiddo, and over break, one of the things that we've been doing is reading books, reading fairy tales, and it seems that every good book, every good fairy tale has a happily ever after at the end. Or maybe it's not so much that I've just been reading a lot of books with my kids, it's that, that phrase, that idea, it's, it's not just in children's books, it's in music we listen to. We hear it in TV shows, in, in, in movies that we watch. Well-meaning family and friends, they say their own version, everything's going to be okay, it's all going to be all right. It's kind of what we all want, right? We all want a happily ever after at the end of our story. Better yet, we all want to live a happily ever after right now. See, it sounds kind of childish to say it like that, but it's true, isn't it? We all want a happily ever after. We all want to begin living right now happily ever after. Why is that? Why do you think that's true? I don't know, maybe your reasons are, are, are different than my reasons, but, but I think that, that there are lots of things that we could say, but probably something that we would all agree to, to one extent or another we know either experientially or, or intuitively or, or maybe both, things aren't the way they're supposed to be. We look out in our culture, we look out in our world, and, and things aren't right. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. There's got to be something out there better. There's got to be something out there more. You see, right now we look around in our culture and, and we see, we experience pain, we experience brokenness, we experience hardship, dysfunction. Think about that word for a second, dysfunction. Now think about how that applies to our cultural moment. Tomorrow, President Biden will be inaugurated. And if the events over the last several weeks haven't put a fine point on the fact that we have political dysfunction in our country, I don't know what will. You see, the United States, we are deeply divided, divided economically. Divided racially, divided ideologically. There's no more we, it's It's us and them, right? We are deeply divided. But it's not just political dysfunction that we experience. Coming off break, a lot of us have experienced the hardship, the pain, the awkwardness, the the dysfunction of family. Sometimes when we're with family, we, we experience the brokenness, the dysfunction that family can be. Then, of course, there's the dysfunction that that comes along with with living in a culture that's obsessed with 
with consumerism, a culture that's obsessed with, with hooking up and, and substances. Or think for a second, your college students, think for, for uh, about the, the pressure to succeed, the pressure to be great, the pressure to be somebody. We all want to be somebody, don't we? And so think about how that pressure creates dysfunction sometimes in our relationship with social media. Think about how that dysfunction creates uh, issues with, with our body image, whether it's our body image or the body image of others. What about with work and school? You see, sometimes we feel that pressure to succeed. Sometimes we feel that pressure to be great, that, that we start to celebrate when others fail. Ever done that? See, we all feel that pressure. We, we all know and experience these kinds of dysfunctions. It's everywhere, right? But it's not just out there. It's in here too, right? It's not just an out there problem. It's an in here problem, inside of me, inside of you. It's inside of all of us. Why is that? Where does that dysfunction come from? Well, on the one hand, it's kind of a complex question, isn't it? Lots of different answers, not so simple answers, not so easy answers. But on the other hand, it's actually not very complex at all, at least not according to the Bible. See, the Bible's answer, the Bible says that the root of all dysfunction, your dysfunction, my dysfunction, the world's dysfunction, the root of all dysfunction, well, it starts in a garden. Now, maybe that's odd, but, but in the earliest pages of the Bible, God's story, we read that God created a wonderful place, a garden, where he would live together with human beings in a perfect relationship. I want to read from Genesis 2. This is the, the, some of the earliest pages of the Bible, the Old Testament. This is what we read about the garden. It says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed, later to be joined by the woman. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, so let's pause for a second, right, because what's up with the trees? See, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? I, I know that we've heard this story. I know we've read these passages, but it's kind of interesting that, that of all the things that God creates, all the things that God puts into the garden, including human beings, one of the focal points seems to be two particular trees. And what's interesting about these trees is that they both look really good, but they represent very different things. You can take that scripture down. See, the tree of life, the tree of life, it represents God. It represents his presence. It represents his power that, that he makes available to the man and the woman, to human beings. That's why God tells them, he says, eat from it. It's good. Because in doing so, in a sense, it would nourish them. It would transform them. It would lead them to life forever with God. But the other tree, the other tree, the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil, it represents something very different. See, rather than being nourished by a relationship with God, this tree represents trying to become like God themselves. It represents taking the authority to choose for themselves, to decide for themselves what's good, what's right. They would do that in their own eyes, not God's. And so like I said, both of these trees, they look great, they look fantastic. But as the saying goes, 
looks can be deceiving. Because while one tree leads to life, God says the other leads to dysfunction and death. That's why he says in verse 17 to the man and the woman, he says, You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. See, God says to them, he says, eating from this tree, it'll kill you. It'll kill you. Now, it seems like an obvious choice, right? One tree leads to life. One tree leads to death. Don't eat from the death tree. What do they do? You know the story. Let's read it anyway. Genesis 3, picking up in verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. For you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So they had a choice. Tree of life? Nah. God's presence? No. God's nourishment? No thanks. God's power? Nope. We want our own power. We want our own authority. We want our own control. We, we want to call the shots in our own lives, God, not you. It sounded pretty good, doesn't it? It sounds good to us if we're honest. You see, but the man and the woman, they were deceived. They, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They disobeyed, and because of their disobedience, because of their rebellion, they have to be punished. They're banished. They're kicked out of the garden. They're removed from God's presence. And as a result, forever they live with the struggle and the consequences and the dysfunction that their sin caused in their lives. You see, what I want to say is that that's what sin always does. Sin always damages. It always distorts. It always causes pain. It always causes hardship and dysfunction in our lives. It affects every relationship, every person, every community, our entire world. See, this isn't what God intended. It's not the way that it's supposed to be, but it is the way that it is right now. And because of that reality... That hard reality that that most of us, probably all of us know here all too well. We're going to spend the next five weeks. We're going to spend the next five weeks looking at this reality, asking hard questions, pushing hard questions, pushing ourselves to see the ways that, that sin causes dysfunction in our lives, in our relationships with God, in our relationships with ourselves. In our relationships with, with each other, with, with family, with friends, with, with dating. And more importantly, we're going to talk about the solution to the problem, our problem, okay? So tonight, tonight, first things first, we're going to start with God. Here's the question. How does sin cause dysfunction in our relationship with God? 
How does sin cause dysfunction in our relationship with God? Again, there are lots of things that we could say, but two things in particular that I want to say tonight. First is this, it blinds us from seeing God for who he really is. Sin blinds us from seeing God for who he really is. And two, it causes us to follow fake gods instead. Let's unpack those for a second. Sin brings dysfunction in our lives by, by causing us to fail to see God for who he really is. How so? A few ways. You've probably seen this quote before. Richard Dawkins, well-known atheist, he once said this. He says, there is at bottom no design. No purpose, no evil, no good. Nothing but pitiless indifference. We are machines for propagating DNA. Now, of course, Richard Dawkins is exactly right. If there is no God. If there is no God, Richard Dawkins is right. If God isn't real, there isn't design, there's no purpose, there's no evil, there's no good, there's no point, there's no meaning to your life. You're just a DNA machine, that's it. Really? Is that what you believe? Is that, is that what you've been taught? Is, is that what your family thinks, friends think? See, of course, it's not what the Bible thinks. It's not what the Bible teaches. But sometimes sin blinds us from seeing clearly. Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. I used to think that that fool in this verse meant stupid. It doesn't. It's not about intellect. It's about pride. It's about stubbornly rejecting wisdom. And so it's less of an intellectual issue and more of a heart issue that causes the fool to say there is no God. See, for some, yes, sin blinds and, and leads to a, a philosophical, a, a scientific atheism. But for others, it's, it's more of a functional one. What do I mean by that? I mean that, that maybe God exists, but he doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Because, because even if God exists, he doesn't really care about you. He doesn't really care about what we do. And if he doesn't really care about what we do, then we should do whatever we want. Because why does it matter? See, that's functional atheism, living as if God doesn't exist, even if he does, because it doesn't really matter. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about this world, so do whatever you want. Is that your view of God? God doesn't care about you, doesn't care about this world, doesn't care what you do, so just do whatever you want. You see, sometimes sin blinds us from seeing God for who he really is. But for some, it's not so much that God doesn't care. In fact, God cares very much, so much so that he's always angry. He's always mad. He's, he's vindictive. He's, he's eager to punish you for the poor choices, the, the bad things, the, the sin that you've done. That's who God is. Is that what you think? Is that the God that you've experienced or the God that you've been told about? Maybe it's, it's not anger. Maybe it's, it's the opposite. God, God is happy, and because God is happy all the time, God just wants you to be happy. And so God is there to give you whatever you need. He's there to, to turn to in a bind. He's someone that will fix your problems. He's, he's someone that will give you whatever you want, so just ask. He's like a benevolent assistant in the sky. I, I read this the other day, and, and I can't stop thinking about it. So check this out. We've been doing all this space stuff, right? Luli did a great job. But, but if the distance, hang with me, if the distance between the earth and the sun 
93 million miles, if that distance was represented by the thickness of a sheet of paper, the distance from the earth to the nearest star in our solar system, the sun, would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. 70 feet high from here to, to the sun. From here to the ceiling is about 20 feet. Even more, the diameter of the Milky Way, the diameter of the Milky Way galaxy would be a stack of paper over 300 miles high. Miles. And keep in mind, there are more galaxies in the universe than we can possibly number. So who is God? Well, if you were with us last semester, you might remember in John chapter 1, verse 1, we read it even earlier that, that Jesus is God. And, and Colossians 1.17 says that, that Jesus is the God who's holding all of that together. Hebrews 1.3, by the power of his word. And so if, if Jesus is God and he's holding the entire cosmos together by the power of his word, here's a question. Is that the kind of person that you ask into your life just to be your assistant? Is that the kind of God that you just want to be your assistant in your life? See, of course not. See, contrary to Richard Dawkins, there is a God. He's your creator. He cares for you. He loves you. You weren't an accident. Your life isn't random. You have been specifically, uniquely made by Jesus for Jesus. And Jesus is inviting you into the greatest story that's ever been told. And more than that, Jesus is inviting you to play a part in the story that he's telling, in the story that he's writing. See, Jesus wants to give your life meaning and purpose. That's who God is. But sometimes, sometimes our sin, it it blinds us from seeing God for who he really is. And this is the second thing. When that happens, when, when we have the wrong picture of God, the, the wrong view, when, when sin causes us to miss the real God, we start following fakes instead. We aren't the only ones. If you remember the Old Testament book of Exodus, there's, a, there's a, a moment, we'll read about it in a second. God brings Moses, the leader of Israel, he brings him up on a mountain to create a partnership of sorts between God and Israel. And while Moses is, is meeting with God up on the mountain, Israel's down at the bottom and they get bored. They get a little impatient. This is what we read, Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gather around Aaron and said, Aaron's Moses' brother, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing, bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings, brought them to Aaron, and he took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Moses is up on a mountain making a partnership with God to, to be God's people, and the people are down at the bottom making a fake God out of gold earrings, worshiping a, a cow, 
See, see, God wants a relationship with them, but their sin, it blinds them. They get bored. They get impatient. God isn't doing what they want, and so they take matters into their own hands, their own authority, their own control. They give their allegiance to a fake God of their own making. And you would think that they would learn that, that this would be the last time something like this would happen, except it's not, because as the story of the Old Testament goes, generation after generation after generation of Israel does the exact same thing. Sin leads to idolatry, which brings dysfunction and destruction and ultimately death. See, when we don't see God clearly, we always, always replace him with someone or something else. Always. We can't help it. We can't not worship. Everyone here, we're worshiping something. You're worshiping something. We're all following someone, something. What is it? Who is it? Is it the real God? Or is it a fake cultural God, a God of our own making. See, maybe to find point, is it, is it Jesus or is it your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Is it Jesus or is it your future career, your schoolwork? Is it Jesus or your physical appearance? Is it Jesus or your social status? Is it Jesus or alcohol? Is it Jesus or your parents? Is it Jesus or your friends? Is it Jesus or your comfort, your stuff? What is it? Who is it? See, none of those things are bad. Obviously, those things are great things. But here's the question. Are they ultimate things? Are those things ultimate things in your life? Or is Jesus? See, I'm afraid that some of us aren't following Jesus because we have the wrong view of who Jesus really is. And because we can't really see Jesus, we replace him with something or someone that we think will make it all better, whatever it is. See, I gotta say, it won't. It's not going to work. Honestly, I, I've been there, I've tried that, I've lived that life. I followed just about everything else there is to follow. It doesn't work. Ask me about it. Maybe, maybe it works for a little while. Maybe right now this is you and, and you're like, my life is going pretty well. I get it. But it won't last. It won't last. It's going to bring more dysfunction, more damage, more unhappiness, more anxiety, more anger, more hurt, more pain, more brokenness and dysfunction because that's what sin always does. It always leads to dysfunction in our lives, in our relationship with God. That's why you and I need Jesus. That's why we need Jesus, because in his death, in his resurrection, Jesus brings life out of dysfunction, out of your dysfunction, out of my dysfunction. So get this, Gospel of Mark, one of the biographies of, biographies of Jesus in the New Testament, Gospel of Mark, Jesus bursts onto the scene. One of the first things that Jesus says in his ministry, one of the first things that comes out of his mouth, at least that, that we have recorded, is this. Mark 1, verse 15, Jesus says, he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent, turn to me, believe the good news. Now, why do you think this is what's coming out of Jesus' mouth? What's Jesus doing? The first thing that he's saying in his public ministry, in the gospel of Mark, repent, turn to me, believe the good news. What's he doing? 
I think he's inviting us. He's inviting you. He's inviting me back to the garden. Back to the garden. The garden that that humans were once banished from because they chose the wrong tree. Because we, right, choose the wrong tree. And here's the thing. Jesus is saying, in me, you can come back. In me, you can have life. In me is where life is found. See, that tree of life in Genesis 2, Jesus is saying, it's always pointed to me because I'm the ultimate tree of life. That's why if you've, if you've read the Gospel of John, Jesus talks often about being the vine that, that brings God's life, God's presence, God's power into the world. And it's why Jesus invites you. It's why Jesus invites me. In, he, he, he invites us to eat from him, to trust in him, to be transformed by him, by his power, by his presence in our lives. See, Jesus doesn't just want you to believe in him. He wants to be with you. Of course he wants you to believe in him. Of course he wants you to use your minds. But more than that, Jesus wants a relationship. He wants a relationship with you, his people, forever. That's why he died. That's why he rose. To defeat death. To defeat the dysfunction that sin brings into our life in order to bring us into a relationship with him. You see, that's what Jesus wants. That's what Jesus wants for you tonight. That's what Jesus wants for, for you this semester. That's what... That's what Jesus wants for your life. He wants to bring life out of the dysfunction that sin causes. And of course, the question for all of us is, will we let him? Will you let Jesus bring life out of your dysfunction this semester? What about this week? This year? Will you let Jesus do that? See, I know it's what you want, right? It's what I want. But here's the thing. It's not going to happen if you don't let him. It won't happen if you don't see Jesus for who he really is. It won't happen if you follow fake gods of your own making instead of the real Jesus. Music team, go ahead and come back. You know, one of the interesting things, for me at least, about the Bible is that the story of the Bible, it ends right where it began. It ends in a garden. It ends in a garden. Did you know that? But, but the thing about this garden, it's a new garden. It's a redeemed garden. It's a restored garden. And at the, the center of this garden is a new tree. And that tree, it's a tree of life that will provide healing and life forever for those who choose to eat from it. See, the life that you're looking for, as cliche as it might sound, the real happily ever after that you want, it is only found in Jesus. Not some fake Jesus, it's only found. The real happily ever after that you want, that you're looking for, that you're searching for, it's only in Jesus. So don't settle for a fake. Stop living for gods of your own making. Follow Jesus because Jesus is more. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.